You're listening to The Ecopreneur Show, a podcast that inspires entrepreneurs and creatives on how they can make a positive and meaningful impact in the world. I'm your host, Vanina. Every other week, I hang out with entrepreneurs, business owners, and leaders that are creating real-life solutions for a more sustainable future. I feel by having raw conversations with ecopreneurs that will keep on inspiring us to take action in our own lives. Thanks for tuning in. Can you tell me a little bit about what Hidden Opulence is? So Hidden Opulence is a sustainably focused um, alteration, small batch, and upcycling business that I have here in Portland. How did you get into sustainability? I think definitely like growing up, my I come from a, a mixed home. My dad's black, my mom's Mexican. Yeah. And I think from their backgrounds, there's like lots of like saving, keeping, like doing your best to... It's more out of necessity than out of eco-friendliness. And I feel like I came with that background of sustainability. And then once I like got into high school, I got really involved in like, I was in part of a sustainability, like zero waste club. So I feel like I had that background and then I grew up and then I realized that there's a, there's a second half to it too. There's a positive impact on the earth that it has to be sustainable. I actually relate to this too, because my father, I'm Chinese, like 100%. And um, my dad is always about saving. Like he grew up in poverty, um, actually most of his life. Um, And so he was, he's always about like, even the things that were expired, he's like, no, it's still good. Let's use this. And expired food that is. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, (laughs) it's funny because I actually relate to you too, because I think that's not really talked about in the sustainability world, you know, that it's also for a lack of, sort more like a way of survival too. And also, um, so I guess my question is like what, so your parents were like that. So was that, um, did they um, save a lot? Were they always mending? Were they always repairing? I know that um, you also watched um, Reading Rainbow and you also oh, yes, got yes. really into um, sewing and uh, quilts. Can you talk a little about that too? So yeah, my... My interest in sewing came pretty early on, and it was like the Reading Rainbow episode, and I had a neighbor, and um, her primary work was like cleaning, creating, like doing mending alterations for people, and um, that was her background, and that's where I would like spend the most time with my friend. I had a, a friend that was there as well. We were the same age, the same name. So that's where my love of sewing was a kind of um, cultivated Mm -hmm. as far as the saving. And my dad is a military guy. Mm -hmm. So he, he's done many different trades within his career in the military. He's a Marine. Um, So he has like a lot of, he was be like darning socks. He sewed parachutes and like goods while he was a Marine. So he had a lot of sewing knowledge and also like just keeping things in good condition. So it would be like, shine, we're shining our boots. We're taking stuff to the dry cleaner to like care for it properly. So there was a lot of background, like, or there was a lot going on in my home like that. And it was the same. My mom was just like, saver. She's, both Both of my parents are like one of eight and then nine. So they come from big homes. So I feel like that was just the mentality there was just like, there's no reason to be frivolous because we don't have room for it. So they kind of instilled that, I feel like, in me most most of all. That's so interesting that you grew up, that your father was the one that was sewing. Because I feel yes, like that's... It's like a real switch. Right. <laughs> it's usually the opposite. Um, and that he was the one that was... Uh, dar- is it darn- darning? Darning, yeah. yeah. So like if there was holes in socks, it was like a quick wow. switch. Like he and was he the one doing the that? How did you yes. do it? Wow. Yes. So that's those are things that you're taught like in the military when you're like on the on the field or yeah. in the in the field right. to mend your own clothes if you're like have a rip or it's just these little lessons that you have to know. And he was the one that just instilled that in you. Yeah. So it was always like, oh, how do I do this? Or like even like ironing and stuff. So, okay. So then you went into high school and then you joined a, a zero waste group. Can you talk about that? So what, oh my what was gosh. the zero waste group? So... I don't remember where it was born out of. I think it might have been like a a group of us like in biology class. And yeah, I became like 
the vice president at some point. And it was really cool because I think at that point is when I had a close friend who was like, I'm going vegetarian. I was like, what is that? (laughs) Could I get that? Where do you buy that? She started, she was very connected. She's a surfer. Her name's Melissa. She's a good friend of mine. Um, But she was very connected with like the the ocean Mm -hmm. primarily. So I feel like that's where her outdoor love and knowledge was coming from. And then I was intrigued. Um, We only like did outdoor activities mostly because my father, my mom was like, not about it. So that was when I was like, okay, there's a connection here. I'm going to stop eating meat. And I'm starting to like learn what all of that about is about. I'm starting to see like the graphic videos, you know, starting to like have an impact on just like eating. And I think that's when I like was in the group and a majority of us in that group like were vegetarian. So we started just planning stuff like, um, I think one of the biggest things we participated in was a beach cleanup, like in Newport Beach. It was really impactful for me to see firsthand like what's coming out of the ocean. So I think that had a really hard impact on me about like, okay, I wanna begin this journey of like eco-friendliness, even though, you know. And so, okay, so you started realizing that this is the world that you wanted to be in. So did you know that you were going to start your own business, have it hit an opulence? Was that something like out of high school, you kind of knew that that was going to grow or? I've been selling stuff since I was a kid. Like since I could make something with my hands, I've been making something or at least uh, selling or pitching things to people. Um, I started selling stuff in like, I think kindergarten. No, first grade, first grade. The businesses, like, what could I, what could I sell? I would like, did like pedicures. Like I did like, I would make the little, you know, with the gel pens, make a little coupons and graphics and like, so I feel like that's always been in me. So part of me knew that I was going to end up somewhere within business, but the, I'm having like revelations, like as I'm talking through this, um, I didn't know those were going to be connected. Like I didn't know, like I was like eco-friendly was going to be so much part of my life. I didn't know like business in this way. You know, when you're in high school, you're like, oh, I'll end up working. You think you have it. You're like, when I'm 20, I'm going to have a big house and (laughs) I'm going to have five dogs and (laughs) and a jaguar. (laughs) Yeah, mine was like 100 hamsters or something like that. (laughs) Like you you just assume that things are going to pan out in a certain way and then you start living life and then you start realizing that things are important to you. I knew um, I had a like for fashion because like sewing had become such a part of my life. I started... So with the whole selling thing, um, I started doing alterations in high school. I started wow. doing like custom patches and like trying to do little, it was more like altering for myself cool. and then like puffy paint. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So it's just like making weird um, graphics and it was definitely like the time of my space. It was all about like flexing your individuality. Um, were like people, uh, other high school students coming to you or were you kind of like telling people that you were doing this? How did that go about? So I was sewing. I would do jeans. I like would uh, tailor taper jeans because like the skinniest of the jeans was in because the scene was in. So that's kind of what I did. I did. I had one kind of returning guy that we would like do these kind of, they're a little like knockoff, like uh, I can't remember the brand. I think like crew. He would want like custom patches of like the crew emblem like on oh, his clothes. Cool. So I would just like have fabric, scrap fabric hanging around and then like make him a patch out of that in like the shape of like the letters. So I would do that. And then I remember him being like, hey, do you think you could like sew in my jeans? And I'm like, yeah, cool. I can do that. <laughs> Your first like real like recurring do that. Yeah. And so then it was just like word to the next person, next person. It wasn't a ton of money. It wasn't like drowning in it, but yeah, it was you, cool how did you, how to did be you price it. You know, as a it was just store. like 20 bucks. Like I was like, dang, 20 bucks. I can like go to the movies. I can like buy candy for my friends. And I had a really cool counselor and she knew that I was really passionate about sewing. And she's yeah. like, hey, there's a there's a university nearby, like a state university nearby that you could probably go to. And I didn't even know it was the next city over is in Pomona. It's a California state 
It's very long. It's a mouthful. California State Polytechnic University, Pomona. And they had a apparel merchandising and management program. And so I'm like, it's 20 minutes from here. It's like less than 20 minute drive from here. Are you kidding me? So I applied and I got in there. And that was, I joined or when I joined, uh, my major was in retail because that's the part that was so attractive attractive to me at the time. Like, I think I was still thinking like, I have sewing skills, but I don't think that they're on the level. I was still scared of an industrial machine. That's so scary. Like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know if I can get into that. really fast. Yeah. Like it was just the whole thing was, it was intimidating. Yeah. So I think I knew retail. I was already um, working at a retail location. Like I started, I started an internship, I think when I was 14 and then they hired me when I was 15. They had a, it was kind of like after school, I think mostly for students that are trying to make up credits, but they had all these really cool trades. So it was just, um, I think it was learning like marketing and sales and in like the retail chain and stuff. And so I took that class, even though I felt like I was the literal only person like answering questions. <laughs> like I'd be like, oh me. Yeah. <laughs> like every single this. time, like it's just like just wait for Drea to like <laughs> pipe You're up. that one kid. Yeah. Because everybody was in there just making up credit so that they could graduate. But I was genuinely interested. And I was like, oh, wait, you get to like spotlight in like the local outdoor mall? What? <laughs> like I was like so excited. So that's how I got my first job and so wow. that's what made me so like oh I'm already working in retail I could do retail what does this mean like yeah. what are the professional jobs that come from this so yeah I went down that track and got my first internship wow. at a showroom in downtown LA and I got like my like it was just like throwing me in it I had never really been to LA I'm from inland um, area so for me, growing up, L.A. was like day trips. Like I had never actually like functioned in L.A. And it was really like culture shock. The, the whole professional aspect of like we're not just we're not out here just like clones, especially in the showroom, because what I was interning as was a brand rep. So the brand reps function at the trade shows and interact mostly with buyers. Most people think retail and think like buyer. That's like pretty but I was like, oh, what else is there? So right. I was like, oh, you can represent a brand and like help a brand get into stores. And how long were you in that position? I did that internship for a couple years. Um, and I did the gamut. I went to Vegas. I did the trade shows. I was felt like I was like, where am I? It, it was I'm glad I did that because yeah. it a showed me like if you're gonna be in fashion you need to stand out because mm. I would go to those trade shows and everybody was so scary to me but they were all like if you saw this particular person like there was no doubt it was anybody else there was so many people like that that they were just like a symbol of themselves that was huge for me at the time because I was still forever 21 queen I was still trying to fit into a mold and to see other people just saying like fuck that. I was like, oh, oh yeah. my God, wait, I, I could I could do whatever I want. But also I think the hardest part that made me kind of flip my thinking about wanting to be in that world was seeing the difference between um, people who were just like producing for numbers and designers who were so passionate about their work that they just, they just really believed in their brand and not necessarily like scaling it so so insanely. So those people made the biggest impacts on me. I was like, oh my gosh, wait a second. And also like there was a lot of lying involved, um, but I feel like that's sales in general. Like you just have to like fake it till you make it. You just have to be like, yes, I'm about this brand. But oftentimes I'd be repping brands or helping repping brands that I just found out about. Like I just got the line sheet this morning and I'd have to convince somebody else in like two hours that your store needs this. So it was... I didn't know if that's like what I, I wanted to be doing. So you worked there for a couple of years. What was the next step after that? Uh, the next step was, um, I think it was someone randomly telling me that they were going to move to Portland. Yeah, that's actually the one question because I, I, I 
I saw that you're, you know, you had lived in LA and then I was thinking LA and Portland are super different, but they're both like, they're all like people trying to start businesses or a very entrepreneurial space. So I was curious about why did you move from LA to Portland? It was very on a whim. It was very like wild times in my life. I think that I hadn't, I hadn't quite, I really wanted to study abroad and I kind of knew that that wasn't going to take place just because of like how much money it costs. And I was like, there's no, like I'm already borrowing X amount of money on myself to be in school. Like there's, I don't know if there's going to be a way for me to have, you have to have so much money up front yeah. to study abroad. So it was just like not accessible for me. So I was like, okay, well, what other like weird experience can I have in college? Uh, maybe just like living in another state and going wow. to school there. Were you still in college when you were working with the? Uh, mm-hmm. is it, wow. Okay. Yeah, it was just like the internship that I had. Wow. Like, on so, the side. Okay, got it. And that was like after school, you would work and during summer. Yeah, I just um, would balance. I just balanced my schedule, so I'd be like, okay, I'm only going to school like Tuesday, Thursdays, and then like at the internship two days a week or something. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, and but then Portland. Yeah. Yeah, but then Portland happened, and that was I was just like, okay. I'm really, really thankful that I have a uh, Marine, a scary Marine dad. He's not scary. I love him to death. He's such a huge impact, uh, positive impact in my life. But he's he's a man of plans. Like he's only only ever been a man of plans. So I couldn't just be like, um, listen, mom and dad, I'm dipping to Portland. Like I couldn't, I couldn't just like bust into the house with that. I knew that if I was going to be serious about it, like I had to have my shit together before I left. So with that, I was able to take a leave of absence with my school and like put that on hold and not just like leave. And so it gave me a certain amount of time that I could deliver. And then also I transferred my job to Lloyd Center. I mean, I worked at Aeropostale, though I was there for too long. Um, <laughs> gotcha. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're not dwell on that. We're not gonna dwell on that. Um. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I got a job. I'm going to school. I can say, hey, I'm moving. So I did. And when I was here, it was just like a whole like again a culture shock because I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what is this place? I was like, where where do you get the tacos? <laughs> oh no, we have the worst Mexican food. Where do you get the Mexican food? Um, amongst other things. <laughs> but um yeah, I it's funny because I really didn't like it. But I just wanted to I was like I I always have home to go to. There's no reason to just go back there so immediately. I should probably tap this out, feel the feelings, and see how this goes. Um, so I ended up continuing school here. I went to PCC and kept taking general ed. I was really close to the professor who was able to, I printed out everything and she like helped me say like, okay, we could probably use that one for this. So she was like, there's going to be a ton of paperwork, but these are the ones that I, we're going to figure it out. Like so lucky that I've had people like look out for me like that. So yeah, I went to school here and I took like only general ed. I didn't realize like how much that was going to affect me because I wasn't taking anything fashion related. I didn't realize that I had ripped myself away from something that was so important to me. I think that was like part of like my homesickness probably was not being able to take those apparel classes. That whole community was gone. Now it's just like yeah. someone help me with my math. And and also like no sun. Like it was just like everything was turned on its head for me and I knew that I needed to return back home and get my degree. I knew that I didn't know if retail was for me anymore. Um, Why? Just because I didn't, I I was working at the store and I kind of was able to see like, this is as far as you can get here unless you approach from another angle. Like you're, you're going to be like a regional manager. Like, I don't know. It just didn't seem like exciting and enough growth. And I realized that the people even working there and like no shade at all, but like everyone's got to do their job. Everyone's got to make their living, but they weren't as invest. They weren't really invested in like apparel. Yeah. And you wanted to find that. Yeah. I was like, wait, that's like who I was going. Those were my, my colleagues in class. And we were like geeking out over like, did you see this show? Or like. You know, all that stuff. So um, 
I ended up going home and switching my major to production. Can you explain to people a little bit what what production So the difference between retail, to me, the best way to describe it is like a restaurant. Like you have like front of house and back of house. Mm -hmm. It's like front of house is retail. It's like the way that it looks, the experience that you're having when you're going to the store. And like it's dealing mostly with like the consumer. And then when you're dealing with production, you're dealing with like sourcing, you're dealing with um, uh, pre-product, like making patterns, Mm -hmm. cutting the fabric who's going to sew up the garment. So it's everything that you don't see when you walk into a store. So I was like, "Uh, I think I kind of want to be back there. Why that instead of being like uh, majoring in like fashion design, that was my major. And I just am curious why choosing the production side of it? Um, I well initially even picking the degree. um, I looked at like different schools and I knew that I wanted something Mm science-based. So I got a a science degree, a, a bachelor of science in apparel. So it was like, it was completely, it was, I still like envy like the art because yeah. like we were, we, the way that I feel like we were taught was most fashion school students were taught how to develop their creativity in just creating a design, like carrying a concept out. And then we were like taught how to take that design and like make it profitable. So it was like we were we we're working on the most we got out of like making designs was like making tech packs. So you saw that world, and then what exactly happened after? Um, I wanted it. <laughs> I wanted, it and I and also I felt like everything was so factual. Mm-hmm. Everything was so fact based. It wasn't so dreamy, and I and I liked that everything was so straightforward. Like there's no there's no lying about how something is created. Like it either works or it doesn't. I, lo- I love fashion for like the fashion, but like once you start getting into like production work, the ego can only be created on like how well your work is. So I was just like, I think that's what I want. So you majored in production and then more like you were now you were back in LA. So I went back, okay. switched. And then I was like, oh, but the salads suck. <laughs> First it was the tacos and now it's the yeah, salad. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, there's no arugula. We were like, what's that? I'm like, damn. <laughs> so I came back up here. I right. feel like I just kept going. It was like, it was like every nine months I'd be like, uh, I can't. Wow. And like, come back. And um, that's when I was like, now I'm in apparel. I'm now in, now I'm in apparel production. I'm coming up here and I'm starting to look around and I'm like, wow, there's a lot of independent designers here. And I'm like, how are they, you know, in downtown LA, like they're a rock and you can get a source, whether that's like somewhere you're sourcing goods, uh, someone who's sewing or a factory that's producing. It's like here, I'm like, you throw a rock and you hit a house. I was wondering like, how do these people do it? And then also where are they sourcing? Like, it doesn't seem like there's tons of places to get goods anyway. Um, so that's when I, that's when like the concept began forming of like there's a need that needs to be filled up here and how do I help or how do I provide assistance so I did an exit internship or or I did like a final internship in in SoCal in downtown LA again um just to solidify because I'm someone I'm obviously someone who needs to like I need to like see it through I need to like be like okay I, I did it I hit the wall and it hurt. I didn't like it or, or it hurt. Like, do I keep going? So I did my final internship with uh, Michael Costello. He's a designer for mostly like celebrity gowns. So amazing. Yeah, like such work. a cool internship. I'm so glad that I got to work there. I was there for about four months, wow. four or five months. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I feel like I learned so much. I put myself through so much stress. Um, but most of my work there was uh, repairs and alterations. Whoa! So there, a lot of dresses come back, like if they're broken zipper or like uh, she wants like lower cut or sh- it needs to be hemmed. Like I was doing all that stuff. And also um, he would throw me onto a lot of like hand sewing stuff because he like recognized that that's kind of like where my my beginnings are is the hand sewing. So 
I'm like, my, my biggest achievement there was like working on a gown for uh, Beyonce's mom. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> like, That's incredible. Yeah, it was so scary. When I think about it, I think about all the red lace and like how, how sweaty I was. But it was, it was a really exciting environment. But at the same time, like now that I had got this like Portland vibe, I was like, wow, there is a place where you can actually like get shit done and be relaxed. Very different environment. Very different. Yeah. Like it, you can work in the fast pace, but like overall, like the city is like pretty chill, you know, and that's that's not like the vibe in L.A. It's just like go, go, go. Um, so I knew that I didn't want to be there. And also this like the the sustainability and eco-friendly, like being like, I don't know if people, like it was really awesome knowing and being a part of like the Made in USA movement. And that's what I feel like I'm part of. Um, but I didn't know if it was like the chicken or the, the egg. I didn't know if people were proud to buy from LA like USA Made because it's already set up. Or they were going out of their way or to like, buy US Made. Right. right. And like here in Portland, it seems like people are going out of their way to make, to buy USA made and to make USA made as far as you can, because I do know when you're scaling, you have to sometimes go overseas and get help. How many years ago was that when you were, you weren't sure, you know, I was just recently walking by um, Abbott Kinney area, like a lot of them, like they'll display US made, you know, the materials that they're from. It's like really kind of like, of course there is eco washing, but I think that (laughs) Now it is kind of like the trendy word. So when, yeah. So how, how long ago was that? That was in, I want to say 2014. Yeah. Like I feel like USA made was cool or like was like becoming a thing. Um, but I don't know if we had it quite aligned with like the eco world. So you started doing alteration more like you were doing alterations. And so you started feeling that crave of going to Portland and helping other designers. So how did, was that when you were like hit an opulent, more like this makes now sense to start my own business? So between that period, I was like, okay, I need to get as much uh, experience as I can. And that's why like I did that internship to like solidify like here or there, am I still about this? Like, can I do it? And then once I, I graduated in 2015 and moved here, um, that's when I started freelancing. So I started just like, you know, people like freelance. Oh my God. But <laughs> often that looks like going on Craigslist and like being like, what can I do for other people? Um, and that's how it started. I started doing that. I was, I was working at, um, crossroads at the time and also like side sling in my car like hey I could alter that like in the fitting <laughs> the fitting room um you know always trying to be like I I want to get closer to what I want to do but I knew like you know I had to have a job at the same time but it was like my freelance work was nowhere near outweighing like my need to have a regular job yet and I got an internship with a local designer and I knew with them that I wanted to just like sew as hard as I can. I remember like looking at designs and, and, or looking at like the stuff that they had displayed on their website and being, and like zooming in and being like, I want to do that better. So there, there is where I wanted to get really strong with my production. So with that brand, I was able to produce like I think like over 150 garments. So just like fulfilling all their orders. And I was just like, this is where I'm going to build my speed. That's when it started. Like I started having a job like two days a week. And then I was like, okay, now it's starting to like take over. Maybe I need to have another job. And then I started juggling like all the jobs. Like I was like one day assistance over here, two days assistance over here. And then like production over here with this company, a different company. Um, Yeah. So that's when I knew that there was a niche to fill and it was legit that's I was like okay I need to make sure it's solid before I like jump on the platform from there is when I was thinking like okay it seems like most of the time when people need me is like around like the uh the trade show you know markets time which is like two times a year it's like around February March and then around like it's like in the August area like in the end block so I was like okay it seems like I'm able to like be solid 
stock with jobs. And then I was like, okay, but what about the rest of the time? That's when I got approached by Leah Artifact. And she's like, we need a seamstress. And so it was like, what am I going to be doing? Repairing stuff at the store. And it was just like, I was like, oh my God. That's exactly what we were looking for. Like, how did this like come to me? How? (laughs) Because like, this is the perfect thing to fill. So that's when I started doing that. And then, um, and then we had had a conversation that she said, how would you feel about this being like yours? Like she had kind of like birthed this idea and I loved it. And then she's like, well, if you set it free, then you can dream it as big as you want. Like you can do whatever you want with it. Like, is that something that you'd want? Which is like, to me, like if you ask somebody that, it could literally be a 50-50. It could be someone say like, I'm so scared. No, I'm going to go get another job. Or I feel like that I was waiting for that. I was waiting for someone to be like, are you ready to step up? And I was like, oh, hell yeah. And then it was through fixing that stuff that, I mean, I loved being a part of the store just because of like how eclectic it was and how I was like, okay, now we're, now we're talking about the few, to me, what I think like is like the next step in fashion is secondhand. Mm -hmm. It's like Mm -hmm. secondhand, it's been a thing, but how can we make it more functional? And it's like, wow, if we can repair these things, it's like half of the stuff that's coming in doesn't have to go anywhere, but back into the store. I was like, wait, what if what if we did this for like everybody? What if we started having these conversations with everybody? So it, it seemed like it was very like, oh, this is your next. This is how you're going to do it. This is the next step. So not only are you going to be able to help people um, or help assist designers, you're going to be able to have like conversations on the ground, which I feel like that's like where like, you know, I'm like, sustainability, like, is my gospel. So it's like, how could I spread it? Yeah. It's like, it makes more sense to spread it, like, on the ground versus, like, working with designers who may or may not be about that. And I feel like as soon as I was about it, like, yeah. I was like, sustainability is my gospel. <laughs> this, is- this, is, this is the world that you wanted to be in. Yeah. As soon as I felt that and I was like, this is it, right. then I feel like, everything else kind of like as far as the designers I was working with like peeled away and then I feel like I've I haven't had to say I want to work with you because like you're eco-friendly or because you're you care about environmental impact like I feel like now since I've just and it wasn't even something that I feel like I had to say it was like a shift in the way that I was thinking and then the only people I've been working with are people who give a fuck about the earth, you know, like truly. And they're trying to translate that through their brand. So it was a big shift, I feel like, mentally. And then that completely. And that's when I was like, okay, now we have this thing. What do I call it? Yeah. And so Hidden Opulence, how did you come up with? I mean, it's really embarrassing, but (laughs) it's really embarrassing. But I had a like Google Doc of just names. Because it just had like names on a Google Doc and I was like, okay, I don't know really how to like ponder so deeply into this other than to um, smoke a lot of weed (laughs) with a really close friend and say like, what do we, we just sit here and think for a second. So we did that for like a day. Whoa. And not a full day. I'm like, I'm not not that crazy. But a, but a little bit, yeah. yeah. And so I took time, and we went through all the names, and I was like, I want, I want a name that is intriguing. I want someone to wonder what that is, and at the same time, give it space that it could become anything that it needs to become. So that's when Hidden Opulence was born, and I was like, okay, I, I feel like it's super relevant because I feel like I'm this like hidden figure almost that is like kind of revealing the opulence that already is. So it's like the opulence, whether that's the brands that I'm working with or it's people bringing me stuff and me letting them know like, this is like a gem, like this is legit. I mean, you craft seeing your work from the before and after, like you really make the article of clothing or whatever piece you're given into yeah. something totally new. And it's, I feel like as somebody who comes from a fashion design background, it's pretty rare to meet somebody that is in that field. Cause it's, we're all about, you know, the new thing, like right. getting a bolt, uh, more like getting that bolt, new bolt of fabric mm-hmm. and then making it out of nothing or something to fit that exactly. But you are given 
that specific material and you have to work with it. I kind of want to go back about what you said, how secondhand is the future. I mean, I definitely have noticed that the younger generation is really all about thrifting. Like thrifting, secondhand. It's like super, super trendy, you know, where people, you know, will, um, what's that thing where they like see an outfit and they'll like, they'll they'll thrift for it. So I think I kind of want to talk about that sort of space about what, like, why you think secondhand is the future? I think that we can still have fashion and still be inspired, but I think that we need to realize that there are limited resources, yeah. just like we have in every other facet yeah. or every other line of work. It's like, oh, but when we think about fashion, it's like a special space where like, oh, it's infinite. We can always like get the material. We can always get the resources, but that's not true. Right. It's like, we need to... And we're, it's starting to shift because people are starting to realize like how much waste that we're creating. Yeah. It's one of the most like wasteful industries. I mean, I agree with that 100%. I mean, so a little bit about my background. So I used to be in fashion design and I used to actually be like an independent designer. Um, and that was the hardest thing for me, which is so everything I sourced was you know, from California, if I could, um, I knew the people like that I was talking to and I was creating, you know, like it was sewn by me or the person that I was working, it was all local, but I felt like even, even in that space, what happens to that garment after, you know, when I sell it, when it goes to somebody, what happens, you know, I I have no, I have no control over that. And for all I know, that could, that person could have just worn it for like a day and it it could be hanging in their closet or it could be in in the trash. You know, I don't know what happens to it. You don't know what happens to it. You don't. And I think that it's, it's pretty incredible that you see this sort of like upcycling of, it's not even just like, like, oh, it's a patch, it's a repair. Let's try to make it back to the jeans that it was. You give it a whole new life to the, to the clothes. And I think that's, yeah, it's pretty just admirable to see that in that space because it's not – I feel like I also see it emerging, but it's still pretty new, I would say. I mean, it's, it's no, old, it is. but it's new. Right, and it's like people have been doing this like for a long time anyway, and even like the thrifting thing. It's like I still go home and thrift. I was thrifting throughout like junior high on. You know, it's like you're given – you know, you make – wash a car, you get $15. You can't go to the store and get like a full new outfit with that. So it it was, it was the same thing. Like I just be like, what's in, how can I, you know, adjust this, adjust, take it to like buy something and then adjust it or something. So it's, it is still something that comes out of a place of necessity. And I feel like those need to be intertwined too, that it is, it, it is a necessity for everyone, but in a different meaning. And it's that also that sort of I, you also said this a couple times too, is like it's indiva- individuality too. Like yeah. you create something for the individual too. So can you walk me through the process a little bit about when does somebody come to you with a certain garment and they have certain questions? Like what is the process of that? So um, it starts by like making an appointment on the website, of course. And then you cut out a bit of time to come and chat with me. Um, right now I'm popped up at Artifacts in Southeast Division. And people come in and they have a piece that they have questions about. And then we kind of talk about like, what's, what's the desire? What's the use? How are you using it right now? I think, I mean, there's like lots of them that are just like fitting. I, something that does come to mind is uh, a gal who had had, who had been purchasing like lots of uh, halter dress like halter top style yep. and then it was actually like causing like a medical problem like it was a slip in a disc Whoa. in her back Whoa. in her spine so she had to have that changed wow. but she was still really loving these all these things that she had purchased she's like I really liked all of them so we had to figure out how to change the straps in a way that she could still love it and not just get rid of all these clothes and have to buy again. So we ended up doing, I think, like eight different garments, like changing the strap situation wow. and to race her back to just cause less tension wow. around the one and like distribute. So it's just stuff like that. It's like it could be anything that you're refurbishing. I've had people come in with vintage pieces and, you know, the silhouette is something that, you know, in love with the fabric like everything's great, but we've got puffy sleeves. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, it's a look. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but not for everybody. No. So it's just as simple as like reshaping the sleeve cap and wow. putting it back in. So it's modernizing vintage pieces or, you know, something fell out, a, par- a part of the piece fell out and it's just like kind of a refurbishing thing could be that. Um, yeah. So they come in and it could be any type of problem I've had as simple as you know, this jacket zipper is broken and it's like, okay, now are we, we're exploring, are the teeth on the zipper broken that we need to replace it? Or are we talking about the slider is malfunctioning and we just put a new slider on. So it's just like kind of coming in and having like a doctor's appointment for your, (laughs) for your garment or a spa day for your garment because you use, you've worn it and loved it. And now you're like, I'm not done. Yeah. So how do we extend it? I've seen that a lot with a lot of like the more fast fashion pieces that come in, um, that they're still loving it, but it's already done. Mm. Like the stitch is already coming. Right. This hole is already developing. And it's like, okay, then this is a mending situation where, it's like, how open are you? You know, it could be as simple as just like replacing the stitches and shoring up an area. Yep. Or it could be, I love it, but it's like, it's too short now. Do you ever see Hidden Opulence being like, because uh, I know that you have a, a team of, you have three other people, right, mm-hmm. on your team. Um, but do you ever see it being like, because I think that, you know, you are, I feel like, so products usually are made in like a linear sort of uh, solution, which is, you know, it's designed to solve one problem. And once it's done or dead, um, people just throw it away. And of course, throw away is just, you know, into landfill or it goes to Goodwill. Maybe somebody picks it up or it doesn't and then it goes into landfill. So I think you are in itself like creating a whole new solution, which is, you know, yeah. people who still love this piece, you're giving them that option to reuse it and remake it into give it a new life so do you ever see it being something where um it's it will be like a team of people or like you'll be like all around the world and people like little different stations or how how do you see like what is the i'm like i'm like is this you gotta sign an nda um (laughs) i i really do see um hidden opulence as a a bit of like I don't want to say franchise, but I want to say the same type of setup. Right now, most of the work does get done in my home studio. It's converted and wow. we have like little sewing pods in there. Nice. It's really sweet. I'm That's like awesome. one more frontier. Um, so a lot of the work does get done there. Like we do accept drop-offs at Artifact and we will be starting to only accept drop-offs at Artifact. And then with that, that means that I'm going to you know, venture in finding another location. If there's any vintage stores now that are interested in hidden opulence type services, please contact me. Yes. Um, because I would really want this to be accessible to everybody. Like it should be really easy for you to find somebody to just mend this thing really quick. My hem fell out. Oh, a lot of stuff is so simple that I see. And I think that that will start changing the way that people are thinking about purchasing things like oh you know you know i bought this piece for let's say ten dollars i find out to replace a zipper it's 25 dollars. am i going to continue to buy this yeah. piece or am i going to go and look for somewhere else where i have only i paid 50 dollars, but i didn't have to replace a zipper or you know 70 dollars, 80 dollars. i didn't have to replace a zipper for 10 years so i think that I want to create more drop-off sites for people to drop off their men's until I have a staff that's large enough in order to like handle consultations, wow. one-on-one consultations more. So you talk about the um, accessibility part of it um, and like the price of it too. I mean, that's actually, I did, I, I did want to bring that up too, because yeah. I think when you think of alterations and when you think of tailoring, it is, I feel like um, unconsciously people think of it's like higher end, you know, higher end clients, um, customers that have, you know, more money or the pieces that they are wearing are like very expensive. So it's doesn't, it's cheaper for them to repair it. So I guess, yeah. How, how do you see, and it doesn't have to be hitting opulence, but like, how do you see us getting over that hurdle of, you know, really thinking about the option of mending than just buying a new pair of pants? I mean, in terms of the way that I 
do consultations with people, I'm always like wondering, like, I don't want to dump this price on you. Like, I'd like to know more about like what you're looking to use it for. How long are you looking to use it for? Maybe you already know that I've been already thinking I want to get rid of this thing next year or I want to get rid of it in a couple of years. Or maybe you're like, I want to keep it in. To me, it's an heirloom and I want to pass it down to anybody else. You know, the future, whether it's your own future or the general future of yes. <laughs> humanity. Yes. Um, so I like to talk about, you know, is it something that we're investing lots on? Yeah. Like, this is your investment. Like, it's your investment. It's your garment. Like, I'm just here to, like, wave the wand. So, you know, if it's something, it could be, like, you know, it could be, we could think of different ways to solve the problem that are going to be different price points. Like, is it going to be something that's cheaper or right. something? And for me, cheaper for me means that I'm working less on the project. Like, I'm working less time on the yeah. project to create a solution. Um, and then also I've done, we all remember layaway from Kmart. Mm. Um, I no, like to explain that. Yeah, well, <laughs> layaway? That? Yeah. Uh, so layaway is this thing yeah. that I remember Kmart having particularly that you say you purchase, we'll say a, a remote helicopter or something, yeah. a toy. Yeah. And, and that toy is like $200. Yeah. So you oh, don't want them to get rid right, of the toy, yeah. right? You yeah, want yeah. it still, yeah. but you're like, I can't. I feel like this is before, like, afterpay is like our new layaway. Yes, I was about to say, af yeah. yeah, afterpay, yeah. That's what I... Yeah. So I definitely, we can set up a payment system where it's like, okay, you're going to put down this deposit and then we need to see, like, these deposits and then you can pick up the item. Um, I was, uh, with Artifact, we did a thing where... If you sold anything to the store, you could use the store credit and pay off some of the alteration costs. So if it's like if you want to do it, we can make it happen. And I completely understand like not feeling like you can afford this. But at the same time, you would likely probably be spending the same amount on multiple things that are cheap. That aren't going to last. Right. And the, and that customer already knows that they like that garment. Right. So it makes way more sense. I mean, I I, I love repairing and also I use the things till they're dead. Right. Um, and I think for me, I, you know, I, I go to, you know, a local cobbler for my shoes and things like that too. Um, but I, yeah, I think it's, it does, it is, it makes people's lives easier just being like, oh, I can just mend it, you know, give it to hidden opulence and repair it there. Yeah. You know, then having that sort of fatigue of like, I need to find a new shirt or I need to yeah. find a new pants and things like that too. Um, so for, so do you, you see it being like a sort of like, like layaway afterpay sort of business? Yeah. Like if people do need that yeah. service, cause of course you can, I let, I'm very flexible with payment. I normally like set a bar, like if the quote's over X amount, yeah. then like I do need a deposit just to make sure that you're serious. You're not going to abandon the project. And then um, other than that, you know, some people often like would like to pay up front, but a lot of the times when I'm doing the consultation and then I'm writing up your ticket for your order, I give you like a range and then like an approximation of like how long it could take. And then like you walk away with that slip and then that's just like, it's initiated. The deal is done. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You recently just had a collaboration with Ace and Jig also. Can you explain a little bit about that also? Oh man. That was so cool. I was like, me? They're great companies. Um, yes, they're such a great company. Um, and I love the the culture they've created around their brand where it's like, you're going to keep this thing for a long time. And if you're not, there's going to be a history. Like someone else is going to want this mm -hmm. item. And like keeping, keeping it in the circle. Yeah. Um, so the collaboration I did was... I was sent um, an item that had a damage. I love that the pieces are timeless mm -hmm. and then also like crazy cool patterns and colors and they design their textiles too, which I'm like, oh, that'd be like such a dream to like create a textile. Um, I feel like you do such a great I know, yeah. <laughs> like, collab, anyone want to make a textile? Um, yeah, so... Yes, they said if you're interested in the collaboration, we'd like to do like a mending capsule. Uh, so we'll send you a piece. And it was on like a really tight deadline. Like I got the email when I was like in LA and I was, uh, but Ace and Jake, how am I supposed to say no? No yeah. way. Yeah. I can't. This is like a dream. Right. I was like, so yes, I'm going to make it work. And um, 
So they sent me two pieces, which one piece was from was from their collection. Yep. It had a damage yep. in the the back inseam. Um, it was just ripped like open. So yeah, like, so it looked like there was been too much stress, like on the bum. And then like, there was like a tear on the seam line. Mm. And then they sent like a bundle of scraps. And then they sent like also a sweater that was matching. It was like a mustard color sweater that was matching. And, um, I looked at that project. (laughs) I feel like when I have too much time, it's not a good thing. Mm. Like too much time to think. Like it freaks me out. Mm. Like I freak myself out that rather um so it was sitting there and I, I took out all the scraps and I was organizing them I was just like feeling them and I was like okay and I was like maybe I should just like sit and like draw so I have like a little croaky book right. and I was just like drawing out like ideas like how could I make this like I knew that it was just one portion yep. that was a problem but I was like I can't just like fix the one thing oh. <laughs> there's no way yeah. um so I ended up finding like two pieces that were pretty congruent and cutting out like a back yoke to deal with the issue because there's no way I could darn that piece. And it was like kind of a um, like a linen, like a very thin type of linen. Um, it had metallic in it too. So I was like, I can't darn that. It's too thin. And I feel like there's like a, I've heard a rule that like you shouldn't sew this the weak area. Like I know that that's a fact. Yeah. So I couldn't just fix that and then do it. So um, I was able to use those two pieces like overlaid onto the fabric in order to restrengthen that area. Wow. And sew them back into the back. And then I wanted to make it like exciting. So yeah. I like sewed a bunch of um, yeah. scraps. Yeah. I sewed a bunch of different squares onto it and just like ways that I was feeling and now it's selling in, in their now yes now. it's their vintage capsule piece so it was me as well as other menders wow. and um everyone did something different cool. yeah it's cool to see that that's you know um like again with the trendiness too that that's something that people are really craving is these unique pieces right. um so okay so you have you do collaborations you still do a little bit of production work, um, but mostly it's alterations and yeah. mending. How do you, and also, so you also model too, <laughs> yes. which is incredible. You have all these different facets. So can you talk a little bit, how do you, how do you, um, did you grow them kind of all like slowly at the same time? Did you put more focus in one of them and kind of like have that grow really well? And then thought, okay, now I'm going to have these other little yeah. facets. How did you, how did you go about that? I think it might be the latter, what you're just saying. Like I need to see that things work before I commit. Yeah. And so, I mean, hearing, like hearing my story, basically I knew that like, I knew that working for designers was something that was necessary. Yeah. And then it was like, I knew the alterations necessary. Um, the modeling thing came out of like nowhere, <laughs> came out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> I, my friends at, um, Lindsay and Rachel at Barrow Jewelry. Yes. 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 Um, I, they were, they asked me to model and I was like, what? (laughs) Me? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so they were the first people that saw something in me. Wow. Uh, and I'm forever grateful because I was like, what? Like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, it's crazy once you like, like with the mindset, like once you position yourself into that mindset and then that's like what you're doing, mm. it seems like it's, I believe in manifestation and law of attraction, all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, it was just like, I did the modeling for them. And then um, from there, that's when I, you know, I posted those photos and I was just like, Hey, that was like, that was fun. Is that something I get? better at is that something that I could do um yeah and so that's like once I felt like I don't know I'm really critical so I like enjoy enjoy critique um (laughs) like I'm I'm critical already about myself and everything but I I feel like I thrive in the environment of being like having being critiqued right so it's the design like, world. Yeah, it's the design world. Yeah. So 
uh, yeah, after that it was just, um, kind of centering myself and being like, okay, like this is something that I enjoy and like to do. And if anyone else wants to do it, I feel like I, it always like flexes a different part of my mind. Um, and also I really like that, like, I'm, I feel like I'm kind of like regular in terms of like body type and whatnot. Like I, I feel like I see bodies like mine and people like me like every day, right. you know? And so just like combating, trying to combat against like that one type of model look, mm-hmm. it was really awesome to be reached out from brands that like are wanting to display like pe- everyday people. Right. Which is what it should be. Yeah. So I love that I can take part in like that body positive, yeah. like movement. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, it's super fun. It's super fun. And I think it's super important too. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really, it's, it's incredibly interesting to see that you have so many different, um, like they're all like a form of like activism, I feel mm-hmm. like in different ways, yeah. like, but they all the brand still comes as a whole because sometimes like I feel like people who are multi-passionate will be like I just need to focus on or I need to focus on one thing and do that really really well but I think you as a brand it's it's way more whole that way you know as a model as um, a mender alterations person as a you know small batch person creating small batches it all comes in the hidden opulence brand. So I think it's really, it's really admirable. Um, so one, so one last piece of advice before we wrap up, um, what is one piece of advice that you would give to a fellow ecopreneur? Um, so I think like the first thing that's super important is creating a community because being an ecopreneur is sometimes, and entrepreneur is sometimes isolating. Um, And for me, I'm super social. I don't know if you can tell. Um, (laughs) But it it was hard spending a lot of time by yourself. And sometimes really um, unmotivating, you know, not being able to be there for other people and people you care about. And because you're really like taken away with this thing that you're working on. So I think it's really important to surround yourself um, with people who are have like like mindedness or like morals, maybe they're also a fellow ecopreneur. Yeah. Um, just because it's a great person to like bounce ideas off of, and also make you feel like you aren't alone and like yeah. you are doing something that's worthwhile. Totally. I think that that's a super super important thing because I feel like I went through that transition of only like being the only person I knew that was like working on a solo project and I just felt constantly left out and I felt guilty Mm. for not being there and it's like that's just like the life that it is um so it's nice like having a buddy or two that are like have you gotten out of bed yet are you still emailing inside your bed (laughs) (laughs) have you left the house yeah accountability people because that's just part of like working for yourself yep um, a really good advice I got from a friend. Her name is Christine Ting. She's a photographer out of New York. She's like, we grew up together. And she was always like fearless in like going after her goals. And I, you know, I was like, what? I want to do, I want to, I want to do that. Um, but it's funny cause you seem quite fearless in your, the work see, that you do. Oh man, <laughs> she's really fearless. And I like just strive to be um, we're doing a good job. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but she definitely was always asking me like, is, is this like, is this the goal? Like, mm. have you thought, have you took an, took a moment to think bigger, you know, yep. because sometimes getting in that frame of mind that is bigger than what you're doing helps you kind of understand like where, where you're at. It's like a big painting and being like, okay, I'm over here working on like the base of it, but like, what is it actually as a whole? So I, my last one would be, um, like, don't be scared to, to dream a little. Don't be scared to just like imagine something completely wild. Well, Drea, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, and then last question, (laughs) how can people connect with you? 
Uh, people can connect with me via Instagram, um, Hidden Opulence, or my personal Instagram is Drea Bea with two A's, D-R-E-A-B-E-A-A, um, hiddenopulence.com. Um, yeah, those are the best ways to reach me. You can always send me an email too. Hey, Kupanurs, thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, come on over and join me at The Zero Waste Habit. I'd love to hear your story and what positive impacts you're making in the world. Anyways, I hope you're having an awesome day and I hope to see you in the next episode.